0: morning, church. So before I begin this morning, I want to share with you some good news. If you receive my weekly email that goes out to the congregation late in the week, uh, you may already know that recently our board of stewards, the governing body of University Christian Church, unanimously approved the call of Reverend Alan Watts, excuse me, Alan Lutz to be. I don't know who Alan Watts is. It's Kara's I don't know. Alan Lutz, excuse me, Alan Lutz to be our new minister of outreach. Uh, We are thrilled. He's an ordained pastor. He's a TCU grad. He went to Bright, uh, has served in a similar situation, a similar context uh, here in Fort Worth for a number of years. And so he already knows uh, the players. He already knows, uh, has relationships and connections uh, with many of our ministry partners Uh, And so, in a lot of ways, Alan will be starting on second base, and we are thrilled. I cannot wait uh, to introduce him to you and his family, uh, his wife, and their two boys. Uh, Alan will start his ministry here on December 10th, uh, in just a few short weeks. And so, I know that you will be praying for the Lutz family uh, over the next few weeks as they make that transition to University Christian Church. As Renee said, I am starting a new series uh, this morning that we're calling Prayer 101. Uh, You may remember last summer I did a survey, as I do from time to time. I did a survey, invited the entire congregation to share with me your thoughts, your ideas, your struggles, the things that you would like to hear more sermons on, what topics and ideas. And the thing that inevitably, whenever I do this, the thing that comes up the most is always prayer, which is interesting to me because. In many ways, it's foundational to our faith, to our relationship with the divine. So this morning, we're calling this Prayer 101. There's something about going back to the basics, isn't it? I I think in a lot of ways, one of the big problems of the church is that we try to oversimplify things, right? We, we, We try to simplify matters of theology, but I also would argue that more often than not, the problem that we run into is not oversimplification, but overcomplexification, which probably isn't a word, but it should be. You see, I think that there's something to be said about the KISS method. You know what KISS means, keep it simple, stupid. And I think that's true when it comes to prayer. And so that is what we are going to do with prayer over the next few weeks to, not to dumb it down, but to simply break it down. Not to make it simplistic, but more simple. And through this series, we're going to be reading from the book of Psalms. There's someone, uh, those who believe that the that the Psalms is essentially the prayer book of the people of Israel. It's 150 different prayers, hymns, which are essentially sung prayers, uh, poems, and, and depending on who you read, uh, There are a number of different types of psalms that exist. Some say that there are five, some say there are eight. I'm going to make the argument that there are three. And the psalm that we're looking at today is what's known as a psalm of lament. And so this morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles in front of you. In the pew pockets there, turn to Psalm 130. It's right in the middle of your Bible. If you just sort of open it up there, you can find it fairly easily and read along, and I want you, as we read together, to see if you can hear, if you can feel the psalmist's desperation in that moment as he cries out for help. I invite you to turn now to Psalm 130.
1: The reading today is from Psalm 130. Here begins the reading. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning O Israel hope in the Lord for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is great power to redeem it is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities the message from God For the people of God.
0: God. That was very dramatic, wasn't it? So if you ever played that game, maybe it's an icebreaker, where someone asks, if you could have lunch, if you could have a cup of coffee, if you could have a meal with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would that be? Now, many of you would say, we're here at church, the Sunday school answer, it's going to be Jesus, right? For me, though, not so much. Not that I don't think that having a meal with Jesus is important. It's an important part of our spiritual tradition. We do it each and every week. But if I could sit and talk to anyone to pick their brain to get to know them, I would choose the author Anne Lamott. She's the one that I would love to meet, I would love to get to know. She's a writer who has written novels and lessons on writing and life and raising children. She's also written a spiritual autobiography that is worth its weight in rubies. And I really like the way that she writes, but even more importantly, I love the way that she simply looks at the world. She has this deep, honest, playful approach to life that comes as the result of a a difficult upbringing with bouts of depression and addiction, but mostly, but mostly As a result of having fallen in love with a God that has always loved her, even in those moments, and I might even say especially in those moments, when she was most unlovable. And so today, she would tell you that she is a self-confessed Jesus freak, even though she can't come to put one of those plastic fish on the back of her car I love just about every book that she's written, and my favorite sentence of her, of, of, if I could distill down everything that she's ever written, my two, my favorite sentence is simply two words, grief sucks. I read that at a time in my life when that pretty much summed things up for me, and it spoke to me in a way that nothing else had. She would go on to describe that there is an illumination that grief can bring, and I would get to the point where I could see that, but that took a while to see that truth as well. I was listening to an interview not too long ago that she did on NPR, and she said essentially that pretty much all of her books are about the same thing, and that is, how do we survive unsurvivable losses? How do we bear knowing the worst about ourselves and, and other people? How do, we, how do we love such fallible, screwed up people such as ourselves and those that we love? One of her books is a jumping off point for this series. The idea behind this, and I will be drawing heavily on it. And The book begins this way. She says, I don't know much about God and prayer, But I have come to believe that there is something to be said about keeping prayer simple. Help, thanks, wow. For the next few weeks, those will be our themes. Help, thanks, wow. The Psalms that we read from a moment ago are not so much God's words to us as they are the prayers of the community, the people of faith, prayers to God uttered in times of enormous heartbreak and heartache, but also, also in times of unbelievable joy and celebration. And I mentioned, I mentioned that that Psalms can oftentimes be divided into different types, and I would make the argument that there are essentially three different types of prayers. Of Psalms. There is a psalm of lament, like we read just a moment ago, when the psalmist cries out, Help. And then there are psalms of thanksgiving, when the psalmist proclaims, Thanks. And then there are psalms of praise, when the psalmist simply says, Wow. You see, the most essential prayers that are uttered are, Help, thanks, Wow. In Mark's gospel, one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus, we hear the story of a man by the name of Jairus. And Jairus comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. He's desperate because, because his daughter is sick and 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 knocking on death's door. And so he comes to Jesus and begs and pleads, please come, please help. And as they're making their way to Jairus' house, there's another woman, there's another woman who has been hemorrhaging, who's been bleeding for 12 years, and she's seen every doctor, she's seen every specialist, gone to every clinic, taking every medication, and nothing has helped, nothing has worked. Some things have actually made things worse, and she begs, Jesus, help now, what we can't see in that story, what we have to read between the lines to see is that, is that anyone in her condition at that time would have not just had the physical symptoms, the physical struggles, but she also would have been socially unclean. She would have been an outcast. She would have been untouchable, unable to be around other people. And so in her desperation, in her desperation, she reaches out and simply touches the garment of Jesus. That would have been so risky. It would have taken such incredible courage just to be able to do that, to touch someone when you yourself are untouchable. You see, sometimes, sometimes all we have left to do is to cry out, to beg for help. When, when we've reached the end of our rope, when we've, when we've run out of ideas, when we've come to the realization that we can't fix it, and so we cry out, help us, God. Help us walk through this. Help us come through. Help is the first great prayer. Have you ever noticed, though, that, that typically those help prayers are not very articulate? They're not very articulate. Uh, Rob Bell, who's another one of my favorite authors, says that the most basic elementary prayer is what he refers to as the red blue prayer. Do you all know what the red blue prayer is? We've all prayed it, whether we know it or not. You, you know, the, the story goes like this: we're, we're driving down the street and we don't see them because they're hiding behind, they're hiding behind the overpass. And we don't see them until there are red and blue lights in our rearview mirror. And we pray in that moment, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. You know that prayer. It's not even a word. It's just sort of a stream of consciousness. It's a prayer of desperation and panic. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. You see, I would argue that help prayers tend to be like that especially when it's not necessarily a matter of avoiding a speeding ticket, but avoiding pain and suffering, whether it's our own or someone else that we love. So we simply cry out and say, help. Lamont says in her book, we say help and because this is really all too much or I'm, I'm going slowly crazy and I can't do this. I, or maybe I, I can't stop doing this or maybe we say it because we can't feel anything or or we we cry out for help because because he's going to leave me or i have no life no life or or i hate the life that i've created or or i forgot to have a life or forgot to pay attention as it scrolled by and then she says unfortunately we haven't even gotten we haven't even gotten to the big ticket items yet like cancer financial ruin lost children, incontinence. You see why I like her so much? My friend Glenn is a mentor to me. He was my pastor growing up. I had the chance to serve as his associate for a number of years at a church we served together. A number of years ago, he was uh, called in to do a funeral for a baby that had died of SIDS. And when he met with the mother, the mother turned out to be about 17 years old, and she was there with her mother that couldn't have been more than 34. And as they met the day before the service to plan it out, this young mother that was being forced to deal with things that were way beyond her ability told him in that moment, You know, to be honest with you, Reverend, I don't care what you say. It doesn't matter what you say, but the one thing you need to know is that I don't believe in God. So the next day they stood at the graveside and she didn't say a single word the whole time. She just sat there crying, eyes puffy and red. Then it got to the end. Glenn said some things and got to the end and he tried to wrap it up and she stopped him and says, do you mind if I pray? He was a little taken aback by that, but said, of course. And she began her prayer this way. She said, God, I don't believe in you, but I have nowhere else to turn. I don't believe in you, God, but I have nowhere else to turn. That is a prayer of help. That even if I don't believe in you, I have nowhere else to turn. And you can hear in those words the desperation. And I'm willing to bet that many of us have been there at some point in our life, even if we've never lost a child. Yet we know what it's like to be lost in the abyss. Help. Barbara Brown Taylor is an amazing preacher. She's an Episcopal priest. And she tells of the time that she spent... Three days in South Carolina, on a beach, that beach where the loggerhead turtles lay their eggs and one evening she was she was walking along the beach, and she saw this loggerhead turtle, this mama turtle make her way up to close to the path where she was walking and and began to to clear out the sand in order to make a nest where she could lay her eggs well, Taylor was didn't want to interrupt, didn't want to interfere, and so she sort of left, but came back the next morning around sunrise just to see if she could find that spot. And she found the spot, and she found also in that moment the tracks of that mom that had left that spot. The problem was is that she had not gone back to the ocean, but that she had gone further into the sand dunes. So she followed the She followed the tracks and found this mama dried out, scorched in the early morning sun. And so she she poured a little water on her and and then ran to find a park ranger. And the park ranger came with his truck. She showed him where she was, and sure enough, and so that park ranger went over and and flipped that mama turtle over on her back. And then took a chain and, and chained her shell to his truck and began to drag her back to the water's edge. When they got down to the water's edge, he unhooked the chain and flipped her back over onto her right side up. And, and pretty soon the, the the waves would come across her and, and and began to to wipe the to rinse the the sand out of her eyes and began to allow her to shine once again. Finally, it. Slowly revived her and brought her back to life. She was a, able eventually to gain the strength to slowly swim away into the ocean. And Taylor says, you know, watching her swim away and remembering that nightmare ride through the dunes, I noticed, I noticed that, that it's sometimes hard to tell whether you're being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Sometimes it's hard to know whether you're being killed or saved by the hand that turns your life upside down. See, church, I've been here for a number of years, and I've watched some of you go through chemotherapy. I've stood with you at the grave of a loved one. I've... I've watched some of you deal with a marriage that is falling apart, one that you thought was forever, and it turned out to be not for long. I've seen you, I've seen you lose your job after 15 years of service. I've seen you loved your children when your children loved drugs more than they love you back. And in all of this, in all of this, you can't tell if you're being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down and in that in that I have heard you pray God help me please help me out of the depths of your being I've heard you cry help and I can't tell you how many times as a pastor How many times as a pastor that I wished that I had some sort of a a magic wand that I could tap on your heads and and the cancer would be cured or the the marriage would be restored or the, the kids would stop cold turkey and everyone would live happily ever after? Or better yet, better yet, I wish God had a magic wand, but the truth is, is if God does, I've never seen a whole lot of evidence of it. But yet, I trust I trust because we are Easter people. I trust that every single one of us are gonna get our miracle at some point, even if it's not the one that we want, even if it's not the one that we pray for, that death won't have the last answer. And it has been my experience more often than not that the miracle comes not necessarily in a cure, but in a healing I think there's a difference there, isn't it? We can have the healing even if the cure doesn't come. And that healing, that grace comes more often than not in the form of those people that sit beside us in the midst of our hopelessness. And that the reason that that just about any of us have any faith at all is because of the people that sit around us. It's those people that, that meet us in the midst of our mess and say, I'm here, I can't get you out of this, but I will love you through it. I can't make it go away, but I can make sure that I stay. And in there, there is, there is a warmth, there's protection. Lamont says she's always amazed at how when she lets people into her brokenness, when she's able to admit how, how messed up and afraid and filled with doubt, then inevitably, inevitably, her truest friends, the one who embody grace, they say in that moment, me too. They say, me too, which she says those two words, as much as grief sucks, are the truest words that I know. That's so much more helpful, isn't it, than... And finding people who offer those trite, simplistic responses like, let go, let God. (laughs) Don't you think if I could, I would. In the meantime, I want to stab you in the forehead with a pencil. Don't you think in that moment. (laughs) But instead, instead, we come to places like this. We come to places like this, and we surround ourselves with friends that embody for us grace. And in the safety of the company of this place, we can pray for help, and we can say, "We can say, help God. I have nowhere else to turn.'" And sometimes that prayer is prayed through tears. Sometimes it's shouted in anger or desperation. And sometimes, sometimes all it is is a whisper into our hearts. But it is an acknowledgement, first and foremost, it's an acknowledgement that God is God and that we are not. And in that moment, when we muster the courage, when we muster that courage to pray for help, we discover that we aren't alone and that that in that discovery we, we, we find grace and healing and protection, which I would argue... Is what we would have prayed for all along if we knew what we really needed. We come to places like this and surround ourselves with people like this. We pray for help. And we know we're not alone.